Welcome and excited to jump into a new series here today. We've, we've been um, brainstorming what would fit as we lead into this season coming up towards Easter. And uh, I ultimately saw a video that inspired this series uh, last year, which I'll tell you about in a second. But just the notice of looking at the world around us and saying, man, people are overwhelmed. People feel like maybe they're, they're just straining towards something and they don't even know what they're looking for, but they're straining to find hope ultimately in my language and yet they're grasping onto all kinds of things. So what can we do as those who are followers of Jesus to help people find hope? and show them the way to like a life that is really full and uh, full of, of hope. And as we lead to Easter, this will take us all the way there. We're going to look at different characters and stories around Jesus' life, which people were straining on their own efforts to find hope. And Jesus comes along and radically transforms the story. And, and, and it'll make sense by the time we're done with the end of today's talk um, uh, as to where we're ultimately applying this and how this is going to go. Uh, I don't know if you've watched any videos, but as I mentioned, I was watching a video. Maybe it came up on a stream or it was on YouTube or wherever, but this, this person was on a beach with a bunch of students around him, and, and she was showing how to get out of quicksand. And uh, uh, not something we necessarily worry about very often around here, but, but ultimately showing how, you know, when you strive to get out of quicksand, what you're doing is, is you're just, you're straining and you're straining and you're straining, but you're just digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. And so this, you know, that, that really the only place you see that is what? Let's think of some movies, Indiana Jones, uh, Jumanji, you would see that on uh, Princess Bride. There's some other, you know, lots of shows it would be on, but on our day-to-day basis, we're not worried about rounding the corner on a trail into Holly and whoom, quicksand, we're in trouble. Uh, that's not going to happen. So, uh, but the reality is you probably have seen something where you can kind of picture this because I believe uh, life is a little bit like that quicksand. Life can be like a journey while we're out for a walk and all of a sudden we find ourselves stuck unexpectedly, totally out of the blue. We're stuck, and, and we try to just work our way out of it real quick, but we find ourselves going a little deeper. We're ankle deep, shin deep, knee deep, and we start to get panicky. You know, we start to wonder, what do we do next? And uh, it could be the loss of a job uh, that just all of a sudden the bills start piling up and up and up, and we're trying to figure out what to do, and we're thinking about drastic measures, and we're just getting deeper and deeper into the quicksand, or, or it could be that the car breaks down and we're thinking, oh man, you know, I can't afford this part, this part, this part, and it's like things are creeping in and you feel it getting closer and closer. You get more and more nervous in the scenario. It could be you uh, are, are just getting older and you're like, 
I'm still single, I'm getting older, and it's like age is the sand <laughs> creeping in around you. Maybe you're in the scenario where you, you, you wanted to go to college, but you're not sure which college to go to or how, what career to pursue or, or whether you're going to get the grade. And students, you're, you see it, the quicksand caving in. You, start, you see what I'm saying? It's easy to start to strain, 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 and you get deeper and deeper. Couples uh, trying to get pregnant, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you're trying. Trying to get that adoption approved, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you're trying, and it just feels like wall after wall, quicksand step after quicksand step. Fears of sickness surround us right now as, uh, you know, just, it's like everything's closing in. Doom. And it can get dark real quick. Quicksand is a reality just kind of in nature and life. So what do we do? Because the thing about quicksand is, is again, the more you struggle, the more you sink. Unless someone comes along. Unless someone comes along and can either teach you a strategy to get out or can toss you a line of hope, you know, Maybe it's a, a branch or a rope or whatever it is, or someone comes in to actually rescue you, but straining to get out on your own is going to result in less hope versus finding more hope. So we have to come alongside. Listen to this passage. This passage just kind of sums it up for me when I saw that video, and I just I instantly had a grasp of people feel like this. And I was like, really? And I started this conversation with God. This is why I'm never really lonely when I'm alone. And uh, so I sit here and I'm kind of having this dialogue with the Lord just going, what are you? you know, and I immediately wrote straining to find hope on uh, a piece of paper and, or in Evernote, one of the two. And I was just like trying to, to process with the Lord what visually I was feeling in my my spirit, and I found myself in Job. This guy's life was just cut out from under him. And uh, in the Old Testament, this guy loses everything. And he's just like, why me? He's mad at God, but faithful to God all at the same time. And he's struggling, and people around him aren't being much help. In fact, he says this. This is the verse that got me, Job 17, 15. He says, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Who can see any hope for me? That's kind of our role in the world around us. God needs followers of Jesus who have eyes that can see, that can see hope for people around you. We need to be able to see that hope and impart that hope into people's lives. And that's our big idea today. God wants to show people hope through you. We are seers. It's a, it's a common Old Testament phrase or word, but uh, a seer is someone who can ultimately, they, they change the name from seer to prophet in a lot of the translations, but it's someone who can get a glimpse of a way out or the future or what is coming, a seer. And oftentimes rulers, people of authority would have seers that they would dialogue with that would help them, guide them, help them make decisions. And when we need hope, we need a seer of hope around us. We, if we're going at life alone, 
we're missing the seers. We're missing those who can see hope for us. And we kind of find ourselves saying things like what Job said. Who can see hope for me? To come to the rescue, we need people who can point the path of hope. And help somebody who's straining get out. So the world around us is straining and they're grabbing a hold of anything that they can get for hope. And I ultimately relate. As a follower of Jesus, our source of hope is is in God. He's our provider. And if you've yet to follow Jesus, you're in the best place possible today because those who have followed Jesus around you are going to hand out hope freely in your world if you just start living life together instead of alone so that they can help you, so that they see that you're in the quicksand of life. And at Open Life, we say that we're all about uh, people leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, and that's exactly what we mean. We're a family of people following Jesus together, that if we see someone sinking in the sand, we're going to throw a rope. We're going to devise a plan to help them, to help each other, because together Many hands make light work of life. So there's a moment in Jesus' life where he interrupts somebody that just seems desperately hopeless. He's in a scenario where uh, not many would want to find themselves, and Jesus just interrupts kind of this story. I'll read it first, and then I'll explain the context a little bit. It's in John 5, verse 1 through 15. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time, and he asked him, would you like to get well? Interestingly obvious questions Jesus asks people sometimes. And the gentleman replies, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one. Who does he have? No one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking for the first time in 38 years. Like, this has got to be incredible. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know. (laughs) For Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. The whole scene is interesting here because 
This place in the community was one that the, the, the leaders and religious rulers of the day just kind of overlooked because it really was counter to any faith practice of the time, more likely uh, idolatry than any sort of like true faith. There was no angel that came along and stirred the pool. It was most likely an, an underwater uh, bubbling of the water. And when these people who were sick would see the water bubble, the first one in the water would supposedly be healed. And so they just had this belief and they, they created this hope out of this water stirring. They made porches. And the religious rulers didn't shut it down didn't cast them out of the community, they overlooked this pool and just kind of probably took pity on their desire for hope and let them have something. But they didn't have someone. So they let it, they let it ride. There's no power to heal them in the water, but they sure believed it. So in their desperation, they let them hang out there and, and gather there and wait for the water to stir Jesus could have gone uh, into this place where the pool was and just worked up a, a, a fit, ultimately. I mean, think, here's the, the Son of God walks into a community, sees a bunch of people putting their trust in something that is nowhere in Scripture or uh, is really actually offensive to the fact that God can heal, and he could have got really upset. He could have gone, and just as he turned over the tables in the temple courts, he could have knocked down the five porches and just been angry, right? But that's not the kind of God we're seeking after. We have a jealous God, but we have a forgiving God, and he's demonstrating that through Jesus. In fact, what Jesus does is he comes alongside those who are seeking healing in this moment. God doesn't need to point out their lack of faith or how this is idolatry and how it's not. He more just wants to find out, okay, so help me understand why are you here and what do you want? Do you want to be well? It seems obvious to us, but I think maybe by us making assumptions about what people are, are need while they're straining for hope around us, Maybe we fill in the blanks wrong in their life and we miss the opportunity God wants to use us for to touch lives. And Jesus doesn't assume anything. He doesn't need to point out the obvious that what they're doing is, is just sinking in sand. He extends hope, not judgment, not condemnation. He extends love. And he has the same desire for us. God wants to show hope through you, not commentary on the hopeless. So some insights from this passage that I think will help us in our lives, ultimately, probably really quickly. The first thought is we must be willing to see people. Maybe you could say we must be willing to see and know people. But really the knowledge of people is in in the eyes of, of God. He knows what people are going through. And this is a pattern that Jesus walks through in this story that is very similar throughout the Gospels. We can see in John 7, 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. In, in Luke 13, 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. 
We know we serve the God who knows everything, or we should. If you don't know that, news flash. God knows more about the person right next to you than you know about them, even if you've been married to them for quite a long time. The reality is we need to say, Lord, help me in this moment because my eyes are open and I see someone and I sense your heart tugging me to engage, to have a dialogue, to have a conversation. We serve the God who can observe things in people's lives that we can't see, their innermost thoughts, it says throughout Scripture. Call it discernment. Call it just plain living life with readiness. Um, there's amazing moments to be had if we will see those around us with our eyes open. And the world gives us more and more opportunities to not see, unfortunately. We're becoming more and more engaged right here with devices. Um, we even have them in our ears, and, and so now we're not listening or watching uh, just watching crowds walk on their phones, it can either be disturbing or really entertaining. <laughs> I love those videos where people are just walking, boom, into a fountain or, up, you know, they hit a, a sign on the road or, you know, just I don't know why that it brings me enjoyment in the wrong way, right? So uh, sorry if you've done that and it was on video. I may have chuckled hysterically with a little tear. Um, but we do. We bury ourselves in stuff. Uh, now, I, I, when, we, when we go to a coffee shop, we, we go by ourselves with a laptop and get work done in these places that were designed for us to go and sit across the table face to face and have conversation. Like, it's weird, isn't it? We've closed ourselves off. We buy, we buy passes for our cars so that we can drive in fast lanes with nobody in our car versus getting people in our car and having community with one another on the way. It's crazy. We do all kinds of stuff to be alone, and yet we might miss some moments by doing that. We must be people willing to walk with our heads up. We got to be the people that are willing to have Eyes that see, as Scripture says over and over again, because we need to find those that are sinking. We need to find those with a hand up out of the sand. We need to hear the muffle. It's not a full-fledged cry for help. It's just sometimes all you hear when the hand's the only thing up out of that sand is, are we going to be in tune enough to pause, to look, to seek out? Jesus saw, and he's challenging us to do the same thing, that we would have eyes that see, be discerning people, be spot on. Jesus took up a place next to this man at the pool. He didn't just walk by it, look over, Lord, heal them all. Or I guess maybe he would have said, me, heal them all. You know? <laughs> no, he just, he went and one specific person. He wanted to make a difference in their life. One. And I think maybe if we aim small, miss small, it helps. He didn't announce himself. The guy had no idea who healed him. Did you catch that in the story? He didn't say, hey, 
I'm Jesus, and I wanted to, I'm the son of God, if you weren't aware, been doing a bunch of miracles. What you doing here? You know, he didn't do that. He, he didn't like give his credentials or um, have a sign on that said, I am the son of God. We don't hear about a crowd of disciples there around this gentleman with you. He just somehow made his way to this guy and, and had a one-on-one and was ready to make an impact and find out what the struggle was that this gentleman needed free from. Why was he straining and towards what? And he took the time to know his need, and then he helped him out. Really, really super simple scene. And are you willing to take the time and see and know people in this community, someone that's in your world that you can tell is straining And I would say they're straining to find hope, but they're straining towards something, right? Maybe you don't see it as hope, but it's probably hope. Will you hold out hope? And will you be consistently in their world enough? This guy was paralyzed for 38 years. Would you hold out hope for someone you care for for 38 years? God held out hope for this guy, came in the flesh 38 years into his world and healed him in an instant. I love the story. Thought too, people straining for hope often feel alone. And it seems like the obvious, but they may have people around them and feel incredibly lonely. I have no one. This guy said, how did he get there? I have no one. Maybe that's what you need to echo in your head as you walk down the street, as you walk into a restaurant, as you're going grocery shopping, as you're looking at the needs around you, as you say hello to your neighbors, as you consider your family's life, and, and, and as you see your friends on social media. I have no one is a very real statement for a lot of people around us. And they might be screaming it out in ways other than words. I have no one. Just as Job said, who can see any hope for me? I would love, man, as long as there's a follower of Jesus in a community, I would love it if that would be impossible to say. If we're following Jesus and we're living with the character growing in us, if we're growing in the areas of connecting and serving and sharing our lives with each other, should be really hard for people in our neighborhood to, be say, to say, I have no one. Well, why don't that person right there in that house goes to open life. You have someone. Hopefully you know them. Should... That's why God wants us to be great neighbors, right? May people on our watch never feel alone. That means we're going to have to inconvenience ourselves if we want this to be true. Stop and say hello. Know the name of the people you see. Feel the hurt. Have a conversation. Listen intently to both the person and the Holy Spirit while you have the conversation. I don't know how many times I I do seem to have this gift of discernment or words of knowledge, and oftentimes I'll just 
sense the Lord saying something to me that I can encourage somebody with and I'll say it and it, they'll do that little moment like, how do, you, how do you know that I'm dealing with that? You know, and you're just like, I just felt it, you know, and, and you're just like, the Lord knows you're going through this and he's with you and he loves you and, and it encourages people. Will we be open to God using us in ways like that? What action, here's a crazy question for you to challenge yourself with, what action could you take this week that would communicate to someone straining to find hope that they're not alone? I was having some thoughts yesterday, a lot of them actually, if you watched the news, I was watching the news and watching the community process and our nation process this coronavirus um, and uh, process ultimately what, what really was catching me was well, all those that are impacted just instantly are our first responders, our hospital staffs, our, uh, you know, these people that are immediately in quarantine. The reporter, I have no idea why he's outside the quarantined fire station, like touching the door. They say not to enter here. Or, or touch this door, which I'm right now touching on this report. And uh, you're like, what are you doing? He says, get away, you know, and he's just right there. And you're, you're, but in reality, I'm like, man, how alone do some of our medical professionals feel right now? They're trying to find answers. They're trying to process vaccines faster than they ever have in their life. They're trying to determine if people actually have this virus or if it's just symptoms really like it. And so all these you know, people probably not getting much sleep, feeling really alone. And then there's people, you know, oh, you know, the majority of the community is just fine, only those with health risks, you know, as if we're not worried about them. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so I have a child with lung stuff that I don't want to be around this, you know. I feel like, don't dismiss the 2%. Oh, well, only 2%. That's all good, you know. So it's just like, there's a, you could get... <sighs> The sand could come in real quick, right? And you could get really concerned. But not only that, I was like, there are people who are, they're on the front lines of this. What can we do to show that they're not alone, even in the seasons? Take some cookies to a firefighter or whatever, because they're in a spot right now where they know it's a danger zone. So I just like, threw out some extra prayers for those people and nurses and doctors and hospital volunteers and, and those that are going to most likely come into contact with this first. And, and I just, uh, really that heart that people would not be alone kind of stirred up in me. Maybe you've been the recipient of uh, a not alone thing that I do. I was just going to overshare today a little because I enjoy doing that. Um, no, not really oversharing. It's not a TMI overshare, but pull back the curtain, I guess you would. I have this thing that I like to do. If, if I notice that somebody has been gone for uh, over a month or more or so from services in a row, uh, I often will just go, man, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jot a just checking in email to somebody. Maybe you've gotten a just checking in email before, but I often will 
kind of, if I don't know the story of what's happening in your world, I'll definitely probably zap that out. Just checking in. Simple, nothing real, real deep, just, you know, hey, you're on my mind. Oftentimes, I'll look at all those that are a part of open life and pray over people by name, and, and I'll just go, man, I, what's going on in their world? Just checking in. I wanted to let you know that uh, miss you and hope all is well. And not that I'm looking for somebody to all of a sudden show up Sunday at church from that. I really just curious what's going on in your world, and I want to let you know you're not alone. Really simple. And then I always begin to process in those moments when I'm sending those messages. Who else? I hope somebody else is sending a message as well. Calling, texting. That's why we need relationship with each other. That's why we want to not let people be alone even when they show up at Open Life because we need to be checking in on one another. Finding out, man, how are you doing? You know, how, are, how is life? Um, and that web of connectivity in a church is so mission critical because if we're all on the mission to make sure nobody feels alone and that life, when it hits them, somebody's there to, to pull them out of the sand, uh, it's going to take all of us in each other's lives. I hope group leaders send checking check in emails. I hope ministry team leaders send checking in emails in the future. It's going to, as the church grows, I obviously don't know everybody and, and can't send a checking in to all people. But that's the spirit of, man, what are we doing in our own world like that? How long has it been since you've talked to your neighbor? Just checking in. I just think there's something powerful about that. And it's crazy the stories I get back from a simple message to somebody of how much it meant that someone noticed. That's the world we live in. Uh, a lot of people really quickly can feel alone. So it's good to check in on people. Find out what's pulling people into the sand. Let them know they're family, they're not alone. It means we need to get to know each other in order for us to walk that out in an effective way. That's why last week I challenged, this isn't a movie theater at the end of service. We can talk to each other. Nobody's going to chase us out. Uh, we're not going to release the hounds and get you out of here, lock the doors so we can do anything. No, no. Have a conversation. Get to know someone you don't know. Look around, and if someone's sitting by themselves, maybe we shouldn't let them. Maybe it should bother us. You know what I'm saying? It's just like we got to be caring and find out who feels alone today because you're not alone. God knows exactly what you're going through. He knew exactly what this gentleman was facing all 38 years of his life, and he sent his very son to heal him. It's pretty powerful. Thought three, the way to hope may be different than people expect. This is what's interesting here. Uh, this man thought the water was the key to his being healed. He may have said to Jesus, I'm shocked he didn't say, uh, well, but you can't heal me. I have to get in the water first. If you want to help me, when the water stirs, toss me in faster than anybody else gets tossed in. But he got healed different than he came for the last few years, sitting under that porch. He got, he got what he wasn't expecting. And I look at that and I go, healing came, and, and this guy took his mat up walking, and I think 
hope might come to those around us a little different than they're expecting as well. When we come into somebody's world and have the opportunity to, to bring hope, it might just be in a way they weren't expecting. The religious rulers were upset at this guy for being healed, which is weird, just because he was carrying his mat on a, on a Sabbath day, a day that they weren't supposed to work, and they saw him carrying something as work. They were upset with him and the person who healed him. And they were more concerned about their traditions than the miracle and the person. They didn't know, they didn't take the time to hear from him. They didn't take the time to understand his circumstances. And this guy doesn't even know who healed him. And yet, he knows that he's healed. He's rejoicing. He's walking. And the, the crowd find out, you know, Jesus makes his way back to him at the temple and says, hey, it was me. Now stop sinning and live a life of healing. You don't want anything to come back on you that's worse than what already has. Jesus tends to, to bring us hope in ways we don't anticipate. And I guess I would say that out of like my own experience. Because when I was in my early 20s, before I made a decision to follow Jesus uh, in my 21st year of life, I was trying to find my strain I was straining to find hope and money in business. I was trying to find my identity in, in basketball and drama and the arts. And uh, I, was, I was hunting all over the place for that fulfillment I missed in my life. I was straining for relationships uh, to find the right relationship. And I was going in really wrong directions there. And what I was really trying to do was find the hope that was only through Jesus. But if you would have told me that the hope that I was seeking was in Jesus, I would have taught you new words at the time of my life. And all of a sudden, God brought me hope through the books I was reading on business that would give all the glory to God. And I'd be like, what in the world are they doing? But they had some good knowledge in there. I was finding and hearing how people found their hope in, in Jesus at concerts I'd go to. Never forget Harry Connick Jr. bringing his dad out on the stage at Chateau Saint-Michel Winery and, and singing Amazing Grace and sharing his story of when he gave his life to Jesus. And I am in deep heathen zone. So mad that my idol musically is on the stage saying something that bothers me, you know? My favorite musical, Les Mis, a story of somebody's redemption. God was bringing me hope in these ways I wasn't anticipating the whole time. And it wasn't until I found myself with only the fingers showing outside the quicksand, I think. That's kind of where I think I was when I made my way to a church when I was 21 years old. And it, then to find a volunteer usher grab my hand and pull me up out of the sand a little and say, are you okay? And I wasn't okay. Are you okay? Because I just want you to know you're, you're welcome here, you're loved here. And that was the seal of the deal for me. Somebody noticed I was alone. It's all it took. And I hope for you that you don't go through the journeys I went through to try to find hope. 
And I hope for you, if you're in a place right now where you're straining to find hope and you sense you're seeking, that you'll reach out. And I hope you're surrounded by people that are going to be aware enough themselves to reach into your world and say, you know what? I'm going to offer you hope, and it's in this this person of Jesus Christ that's going to lead you out of this place that you're in because let him do the work. And uh, I just, I look at this story and I go, man, Jesus came in such a powerful way in this guy's life and he did it the same in my life. And I know that he wants to do it the same for so many people that are just straining to find hope in a place that they're not finding it currently through whatever substance or challenge they're doing. And I don't think hope should come through an assigned volunteer necessarily on any given Sunday. All of us should be aware. And not just on Sunday. Monday through Friday through Saturday. And wherever we go, we're carriers of hope. So here's the action thought. Allow God to show people hope through you. Pretty obvious, right? But we need to allow God to show people hope through us. Whatever excuse is it that clicks into our head when we want to say we're not going to extend hope or we feel like, oh, this is, just, this is just a coincidence that there's somebody here that I could help today or, you know, turn that don't engage voice off because it's time that we extend hope to the world around us. People are straining to find hope. And as Someone who has followed Jesus and said, yes, okay, I confess you as Lord and Savior. Immediately we have this voice inside that should nudge us towards extending hope to those that are seeking it. So here's the the reality. If we want to allow God to show people hope through us, the first thing we need to do is follow Jesus ourselves so we have a grasp of this hope. Then the next thing we have to do is deal it out. Be incredibly faithful dealers of hope. And that's why I want to pray over us today. Could you stand with me? God, I thank you for everybody that's here. Those who came through the door full of hope. And God, those who, reality is they're here today seeking hope. Somehow, through an invitation, a sign on the road, a Google search, you allowed yourself to show up on the radar of hope options. (laughs) So I pray that today, if you're in this room and you need hope, you want to allow God just to come in to your world strong today with hope, that you just ask, God, Let me see the light at the end of this tunnel called life. Let me see the hope that you have for tomorrow. Relieve from me the worry and fear that is bombarding my life. Come and touch me today. I invite you into my life, Jesus, to be my hope. And God, I pray for the rest of us who've maybe made that decision in the past that you would allow us to realize you've equipped us to be those who would share hope to the world around us with eyes that would see those who need hope that are straining around us. That God, you will give us the courage to engage and we'll go after people in a way that maybe they didn't think they were gonna find hope, but 
give us discernment so that we can make a difference in the lives of those around us that are straining and sinking in the quicksand of life. Give you thanks for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. As you contemplate maybe what God's stirring in you from this talk today, uh, the worship team is gonna give us a song to contemplate it. I'll be right back.